Welcome to episode five of Breaking the Ice. I'm your host, Connor. This week, we're releasing part one of a two-part episode on the future of transportation in the North. Canada's North has incredible potential for innovation and transportation. We have thousands of kilometers of land that could be available for almost year-round modern vehicle testing and research. We could use this space to test and improve the performance of autonomous vehicles in wintry, snowy conditions. We could test the ability of electric vehicles, including electric trucks, to run and hold a charge in the coldest of climates. What would recharging infrastructure look like in remote environments? Unfortunately, Canada is not taking full advantage of this northern potential. But other countries are. Norway, in collaboration with Finland, has established a research centre based around a test track on public roads in its far north. At this facility, it tests how cooperative intelligent transportation systems, which we refer to as ITS through the podcast, might function in northern environments. So today on the show, I had the privilege of speaking with Thomas Levine, who is a chief engineer of Nordic Way 2. This is a project of the Norwegian Public Roads Administration that operates the E8 Borealis test track for research purposes. He had a lot to say about the benefits of conducting autonomous vehicle research in the far north, something I hope Canada can learn from. In a future episode, we will look at this issue through a more Canadian perspective, looking at electric vehicles and the Minds Mobility Initiative. But for now, let's get to the interview. I wonder if you could just start off and tell us a little bit about yourself, your uh, personal professional background for our audience. My name is Thomas Levine. I work in the Norwegian Public Roads Administration as a senior principal engineer. Uh, I started off as a civil engineer and took my master's within transportation planning. Uh, then worked uh, four years as a consultant doing transport analysis and then went back to university, took a PhD uh, within environmental modeling of freight transport. And since then worked as a researcher in uh, CINTEF and then moved on to the Norwegian Public Roads Administration where I mostly manage research projects and try to figure out where there are research needs. And how does your work with the, Nor- with the Norwegian Public Roads Administration involve you specifically with the development of intelligent transport systems in, in, in the Arctic? Uh, previously, uh, my section name in the Norwegian Public Roads Administration was the ITS section. So basically, there was a semi-research section that looked into the future and what kind of systems do we need, need for the future. And that's also where most of these pilots, uh, like the E8 uh, Borealis project, for example, has come out of, is the work that we have done trying to figure out what are the needs uh, in the future for us to make basically transport systems work fairly well under Arctic conditions. So you listed as a project manager for Nordic Way. Could you tell us what that project is? Yeah, the Nordic Way project was a project that's between the Nordic countries, Norway, Sweden, Finland, and Denmark. In this project, we were supposed to look at CITS, basically ITS, but there is a large degree of cooperation between different systems 
And within the Nordic Way project, we basically develop an interchange because one of the challenges that we see within ITS is you need to in enhance the flow of data. So at some point, uh, for example, road authorities need to identify that there is an issue on this part of the road. And then you have to communicate it, for example, to the OEMs so they can inform their drivers or their vehicles that there is an issue ahead. Uh, the European Union had uh, focused on building a short range radio system, the so-called ITS G5 system. It's basically close to DSRC technology in uh, the US. The challenge for us is that we have many rural roads and we wanted within the Nordic Way project to study how we could use the existing telco networks to provide some of the same functionality and also learn about what can we do and what's not possible to do with telco uh, networks. So it's my understanding that the E8 Borealis track is, is one of the demonstra demonstration sites for uh, new ITS technologies as part of that Nordic Way uh, program. So if that's correct, uh, could you just briefly outline the history and development specifically of that E8 Borealis project and why it's important to choose a site so far north for developing these technologies? Yeah, uh, the E8 Borealis was started uh, on behalf of our the road directors of uh, Norway and Finland uh, had, uh, had a cooperation going. And they decided on that it was beneficial for both parties to look into winter conditions. So that's the main focus of uh, the E8. Uh, on the other hand, the E8 is also a vital transport route for Norway. Uh, a lot of our income is from uh, the oil industry, but we also see that the fish uh, industry, fish farming, salmon farming is growing tremendously. And getting uh, there, there is a limit to how many salmon a Norwegian can eat. So basically, we are now getting good at exporting them to all over the world. And one of the bigger markets is the Asian market. So how do you get salmon up north at 72 degrees north to uh, Japan within a reasonable time frame, meaning uh, 36 hours? And that's basically trucking the salmon from the Norwegian fjords across uh, to Finland and down to Helsinki, where they're put on as belly freight down to Japan and China. So the E8 Borealis is one of the challenging areas for this export route toward uh, the Asian market for salmon. Uh, the reason for establishing it so far north is that Norway is a small country. We cannot do everything. And as a small country with a small roads administration, we have to trust that our colleagues and counterparts in different other countries can sort our problems. So basically heavy traffic, uh, infrastructure where there are multiple lanes and all of this, this will be solved by our European friends or American friends or Canadian friends. But what will not be solved are the issues within uh, winter conditions. We typically call them winter conditions, but if you go to mainland Europe, for example, this is extreme weather conditions. 
So a lot of the work we do is basically trying to get systems to work in Norway, but the benefit for the EU countries is that they can test their systems within extreme conditions. Because there is a limit to how many snow days you can have in Norway. Uh, up north, it's, well, it's about six, five or six months a year that you risk having heavy snow or sleet coming down. That was the reason for the location, but also that it is economically of high value for Norway. Right, of course. Um, I wonder if you could just touch a little bit more on those winter conditions. And I hope this isn't too uh, self-explanatory, the answer, but what are some of the unique challenges that northern wintry, snowy conditions pose for ITS um, systems and autonomous vehicles? There there are so many. There are sort of two challenges, and that's also one of the reasons why Finland and Norway were committed to working on these topics. Because one thing is the extreme cold, uh, the uh, fresh, dry snow, and these stable winter conditions. That's typically whether you have within Finland. Uh, If you look at the Norwegian coastline, it raises up from the fjords, uh, where we have the Gulf Current bringing hot water from the southern part of the US and the Bahamas over to Norway, meaning that you can actually go from about zero degrees close to the fjords, but end up in minus 20, just 40 kilometers away. So it's a great variability. You can go from basically rain until a snowstorm within 20 minutes. Um, The most challenging issues we think are questions about friction, Uh, because if you are to control and manipulate a vehicle automated or normally driven, you have to rely on the friction. And in our regulation, we have a clause that says that it's the driver's responsibility to maintain the correct speed and uh, do the right thing when driving under harsh conditions. But how do you sort of get this information into an automated system? Then you need some kind of data on the friction. Then you need to understand what are the boundaries? How much force can you apply to braking and so on until you start skidding and you have issues? So these were most or most of the early trials and pilots in the Boidalis E8 project were related to friction, measuring friction and understanding how we could crowdsource uh, friction from the rolling vehicle fleet. The most challenging conditions we've seen so far is basically sleet. It's very wet snow. This tends to uh, cover the sensors and make it hard for cameras using normal visible light to understand what is going on. Uh, And yet again, these are normal appearing weather conditions in Norway, not just up north, even further south. But if you go to mainland Europe, you'll figure them out as extreme weather. So what is the solution for those those situations with sleet? How How is that problem overcome? There is no good uh, good solution at the moment. One thing is working with the algorithms and the Finns did a lot of work on that. And then there are sort of 
practical things you can do. It's like cleaning off the front of your radar if you know where it is on the vehicle, for example. Then it could be heating of the radar. Uh, but these are, again, things that vehicle manufacturers don't focus too much on because there is a most of the vehicles are sold elsewhere where the weather is a bit better than uh, you have in uh, Norway and northern Canada, I assume. I see. Okay. Um, so just going back to the Borealis test track specifically, what about this makes it unique from other projects? Is it just the northern environment or are there other, other aspects that make it stand out from other ITS test tracks around the world? Not from other test tracks around the world. I don't think there are many big differences. Uh, there, there is one exception. This is not really a test track. This is actually a stretch of open public road that we use for this application. So it's not closed off and you have other traffic appearing in this test area. Uh, that might be somewhat unique. Otherwise, uh, in relation to test tracks that we have, uh, the biggest difference is the setup of the infrastructure, a lot of money and time has been spelt, spent on building infrastructure where that makes it simple and easy for technology suppliers to uh, hook in their equipment and also to hook in into reference data. We provide, for example, four uh, weather stations, we have traffic counting equipment, uh, and we have friction measurement equipment. Uh, on the stretch. So what we are trying to do is to accelerate industry. So give them what, what is costing them most, what do they need most? And that's basically data to compare their systems with. And we hope that we can supply this at the EA Borealis test area. And so the, the funder behind all this infrastructure that has been built would be the Norwegian government, right? Yeah, it's the Norwegian Public Roads Administration that have spent a lot of money on building uh, the test site, but we also spent quite a lot of money on innovative uh, projects. So basically we said our issue is winter conditions, it's hard to get up steep hills, uh, do you have any solutions that could be of value? And we got a lot of interesting project proposals coming into us. And I think we started about nine of them uh, and began testing them to see if uh, the ideas worked or what were the issues and what were the strength of these different ideas. What were some of the other ideas that were proposed? Uh, we tried to apply, for example, parking sensors. Uh, we uh, drilled holes into the road uh, surface in uh, challenging uh, uphills or uh, where it's challenging to get trucks uphill to detect and see if we could uh, identify trucks having problems getting up the hill. We used uh, fiber optic cables and measured uh, the noise in them and trying to figure out where heavy vehicles were and what speed they were traveling at. We've used a LIDAR to detect vehicles or reindeer on, uh, on the road or in the paved area of the road. Uh, let's see, what else have we done? We've done some work on traffic signs. 
uh, trying to figure out if it's uh, a lot of the systems as a road authority are legacy systems. You're dragging a lot of old technology with you because it's hard to update. We tried testing out some new uh, systems uh, and that was quite interesting as well. So this is obviously um, going back to the infrastructure been a pretty significant investment for the roads authority. Um, so in your estimation, has this investment been worthwhile? Yes, uh, depending on how you sort of, the return of investment might either be cash, and I don't think we're very strong in that department, but when it comes to return on investment in knowledge, I'm quite sure that this has made a significant difference. Just that you are calling us is, for example, that somebody else in the Americas actually figured out that there is something exciting going on up here is a good sign. But we also see that vehicle manufacturers, uh, map, uh, mapping agencies, and uh, other sort of uh, industry actors are coming to us and asking, "What you are? What are we doing? Are we doing anything interesting in this case?" So, so it's opened a lot of doors. And uh, since we are sort of lucky in the Norwegian Public Roads Administration. A lot of our staff is still engineers, not only dealing with procurement, but actually doing engineering work. And having our engineers talk to the industry engineers have uh, raised the understanding and made us or given us a knowledge to what we need to change, how we need to change for the future. Uh, without the Borealis project, I think we've would have gotten a lot less further on that topic. So asking you personally, what are the discoveries or innovations or new technologies that have come out of this project that you that excite you the most, that you see the most potential in for future development? What, what seems to be uh, of most value and what is most sort of fun and interesting have been the technologies playing around with low energy devices uh, because the biggest costs when you're operating a road network in the northern part of Norway is actually getting power and communications to the sites. So having something that can run on a battery for a year, uh, only communicate over NB-IoT, do edge processing of the data to sort of so that you only have to send uh, the event not a whole uh, video stream of LiDAR data, for example. These are really interesting results and that could be very useful for road authorities that have a huge network in rural areas because this will give us access to data that we've never had before. That could potentially make it easier for us to have a well-managed and robust road network. So you might not be able to use ITS to improve or to make sure that you get to where you want to get. You might have to plow, but at least you can know beforehand where the issues will be and, and if it's challenging or if it's just not another normal winter day. This is sort of, I, I'm not sure what internet connection in northern Norway is like, but in northern Canada at least, internet connection, because the land is so large, can be very spotty and unreliable. 
if, the, if there are such challenges with internet connection, would that be a problem for developing these systems in an environment like Canada? Yes and no. Uh, one of the things we tested out was the, the quality or the capabilities of the telco networks. Uh, the new, uh, normal suppliers of broadband via uh, cellular phone. Uh, and we can see that the difference or at the moment and probably for a few years, the cars and the sensors are still communicating uh, small amounts of data. So this seems to work well as long as you have coverage. But we've realized also during the piloting and testing of this project that there's a lot of issues with coverage uh, in the modern rural areas. And it sort of makes sense. Why would a cell phone operator uh, build a base station if only to serve 10 people? And that's why we have looked into NBIoT and some of these technologies that promise better coverage but a whole lot lower data rate. What does uh, NBOIT mean? It's narrow broadband, basically. So it's uh, just a different way of sending your packets, uh, which makes it, it's, it's within the normal uh, 4G specifications of the cellular networks, but it has a longer range due to the way they send the packages and encode the packages. Uh, and that is very promising. Uh, but coverage, cell coverage is a big issue. On the other hand, what we also realized is that some of these events uh, you can warn ahead of. So you there, there is no high, if you look at short range radio communication, the latency is the key. How quickly can you get a message across? But for example, in the Burialis area, if there is a stop in the most Eastern part, the only nice place to say so is a gas station far away on the Western side. So if there is a jam in the hill, if there's a vehicle stuck there, you would actually want to give a message close to 30 kilometers ahead of where the uh, bottleneck is. So you can actually stop at the gas station and get something warm to drink and so on. So, and in that aspect, the latency is not a big issue anymore because you could send it basically half an hour ahead. Those poor guys that are beyond the point of no return will actually have to go up there anyway. There, there is, if you are a truck there, I think we have only two or three places where you can turn around in 40 kilometers. So basically you will be stuck there. But for all of those who are arriving into the area, we are able to stop them at locations that are uh, of interest or that are much better than just standing around somewhere in the middle of nowhere. Right. Okay. That does make sense. Thank you. Um, I'm wondering within this project, have, has there been any work with uh, electric vehicles? Because I know that Norway is working to become a world leader in electric vehicle technology. So. What sort of testing goes on with, uh, with those in, in, in these sorts of environments? Uh, we've done very little on the uh, electric vehicles. Um, the success of the electric vehicles in Norway is basically due to the fiscal system. 
you have no value added tax, you have uh, exemptions you can drive in uh, some of the public transport lanes, you have free parking or you used to have free parking. So Norway has not really done that much of experimenting and testing of these vehicles up north. Do you think that's an area that you might be able to work on in the future or is that something that's not really of interest up right now? As a matter of fact, the Norwegian Public Roads Administration uh, changed its uh, fleet of vehicles to only EV vehicles, uh, the Polestar 2. So we now actually have close to 200 of these vehicles. And in addition to them performing the service as our service vehicles, we're also signed a research agreement with Volvo and Polestar to extract data from these vehicles. Uh, but yet again, what, what are the differences of electric vehicles versus uh, combustion engine vehicles in uh, Arctic conditions? Uh, we've not probably focused as much as we should have on this topic. Right, okay. Yeah, just because I imagine that, especially the batteries, in electric vehicles, that would be an issue driving in far north environments. Yeah, so some of these uh, electric vehicle companies have uh, uh, clever solutions on retaining the battery or the heat produced by the battery uh, and stuff like this. Uh, but the the biggest issue is sort of if you are stuck with a diesel vehicle, you have your full tank of diesel that will last you a long time and keep the vehicle warm uh, inside and you could use it for the heater. If you are running an electric vehicle, the heater is consuming a lot of power to produce the heat in the cabin. So that might be an issue. So yes, I think the topic that we need to or if we are to look into would be uh, charging at critical points. Do we need to supply power if vehicles get stuck in such a, if there's a sort of a traffic jam that will last three, four hours due to a truck being standing across the road? Is there a need to provide power to make sure that the people are warm and comfortable, even though it takes a while for us to clear the road and get traffic moving again. Definitely, definitely. Um, I just want to switch gears a little bit and talk about the, the project as in more of a general sense. And at least in Canada, there's sort of a perception that the North is too inhospitable for business and investment and research. Do you think that projects like these are changing the perception of the North as being a place for innovation and research and business where that can be done? You know, I think this is linked to sort of the climatic issues we are facing. What we are seeing is more or an increase in the extreme weather events. Now, if you are to build technology that is to cope with extreme weather events, it's, yeah, you might have to in mainland Europe wait 10 years for it to snow in Spain. But if you go up north, it's an everyday happening. So what we are trying to sell is the point that if you want your systems to work under extreme conditions, then why not come to Norway where you have regular extreme recurring extreme conditions? 
Uh, and this is sort of sitting quite well with the industry because they can go there, they can test, if not to improve their systems, just to understand how they behave under these kind of conditions. And I would assume that this would be the same in uh, Canada. You have challenging weather situations. Now, if we are in the Midwest or so, it would be seen as extreme weather while it's everyday business up north. And do you think that on a global scale, the research scientific community is taking full advantage of the north or should more be, be, be done about uh, moving research up there? Uh, I, yet again, I think this is linked to the climate change. If, if climate change is continuing and it's continuing at the same pace or even a higher pace, I think we will see more extreme conditions. And this means that if you are to sell your equipment in sort of a new world after the climate has gone or CO2 emissions have risen even more, I think you have to actually go up north, do some testings. It's not going to solve the problem at all, but it will give you an increased confidence in that your system will work even if uh, it gets worse. What do you think of Norway's reputation globally for innovation? Do you think Norway has a good reputation for innovation? Challenging uh, question to evaluate oneself, but uh, but we've had some company or some commentary from companies that that have come up and tested in Norway. And one of the things that we were sort of a bit surprised about, but very happy about is that the comments are, it's not really your money we're after in the research project. It's more of the competence of your skilled labor. So having access to our engineers that work every day with these issues, because if you sort of have a extreme weather event, uh, some of the companies just quickly ask, how often does this happen? And our engineers will very quickly reply, well, last year it was 50 times, the year before it was 30 times, the year before that it was 70 and so on. So having access to this knowledge, I think they appreciate. So in that sense, I think Norway is lucky because we have a quite large engineering staff still within the public roads administration. While if you go to Sweden, Finland and Denmark, they have a different culture and have far fewer engineers within their public roads administrations. Do you see any areas where Norway can improve? Definitely. It's uh, being, there are, there are lots of things we can learn from the Swedes and the Finns. The Finns are really good at getting startup companies off the ground. They do all sorts of schemes to make sure that you get new industry companies and some of them are really good and produce high quality innovations that actually change a lot of things. So in that respect, I think we could learn more on how they do it. It's not really an engineering and not uh, just related to road transport. It's more of a generic attitude towards innovation. How do you get small companies to start up? What do you need to do to make sure these startups come? 
as a final question, what do you see, what is in store for the future of Nordic Way, the EA Borealis test track? Um, what do you have planned for uh, the years to come? For the years to come, I think we're still following the same line. We want to invite industry to come up and trial their equipment, but we are also we are planning on using this stretch for uh, trialing technology or putting pushing the technology to its limits. One of the issues that we are hoping for to do is testing uh, uh, the vulnerability of GNSS-based systems, those that use global navigation systems. Uh, you probably have seen some of uh, the newspaper articles looking into GNSS jamming, for example. Uh, and that is a big challenge for us because we use the location of a vehicle in almost every ITS system. And some of these GNSS jammers are basically used to camouflage the vehicle so that uh, your electronic driving journals don't show up where you have driven and so on. It's sort of petty crime things people are doing, but the implications can be severe. For example, if you are rescue helicopters, they might have to reroute or not being able to land in the vicinity of accident areas and so on. So on the EA, we're trying to uh, cooperate with uh, other public agencies to doing test fests and inviting uh, private companies to uh, experience these GNSS jamming uh, situations under controlled conditions. And I think that's one way to raise uh, the competence and raise the quality of uh, suppliers so that we get more robust solutions. Have you seen positive results with those sorts of tests? We're seeing that the knowledge is spreading that sort of taking some of the concepts from IT industry, hacking, white hat hacking and so on. I think that's a way to improve these new ITS systems. Uh, and uh, basically we haven't seen We've seen a lot of heads raised and people saying that, oh, we didn't really think about this. This is something new. And if people are saying that after a test, then I think it's yes, this is a success. Because then you know the next generation, they actually have this in mind and will be less susceptible to these uh, issues. So I lied, I actually do have one more question for you. Um, if you had to give Canada a piece of advice uh, about bringing innovation north, bringing research north, or not specifically Canada, any other northern country, um, what would that piece of advice be? I, I think it's looking at your natural advantages. What is your typical natural advantage? I think uh, climate, weather, uh, yet again, because this is extreme conditions, you call them normal, average, everyday conditions. But if you take an automated vehicle that's driving in Nevada, clear skies, 20 degrees, well, someday if climate change continues, it will snow in Nevada, it will get icy. You had some issues in Texas and down south there also. And if the suppliers go up north, they can go and test it during regular conditions. And I think that's some of the key issues. 
is that you can actually do it on real public roads, not in specific tracks. You could do it outside and you could do it under extreme conditions or normal conditions as, as we northerners would call it. <laughs> right. Um, well, thank you. This has been really interesting. Is there anything else that you'd want to mention that you think our audience should know about the work that you're doing up there? No, I think you've uh, really looked into what we are doing and um, I'm really pleased to be uh, honored to appear on your show and I think it's it's a good way to learn from each other and if anybody has any ideas on what to test and anything just give us a call or send us an email uh, there's a lot of stuff we can do across uh, as neighbors in the north okay I think that's a great way to end it so thank you again for appearing and uh, talk to you talk to you hopefully we talk to you again sometime soon <laughs>